At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do. And we do it all while taking our inspiration from everywhere. From New York strips and buffalo wings to St. Louis ribs drenched in Kansas City sauce. Our meat mastery knows no bounds. We grill it, smoke it, pull it, carve it. You name it. So come try our new rib feast. That's a house rack of ribs, two sides, garlic bread, and a drink for just $19.99 when you dine in. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do. Limited time only while supplies last were permitted by law. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. We're back for another week on the Razball Prospect Podcast. We have a very special episode this week. It is the Detroit Tigers we're digging in on. We have a close personal friend of mine, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, probably one of the best baseball follows on Twitter. That would be Emily Walden of The Athletic Detroit. She's also of The Athletic, so she's of a higher caliber, too. I'm very excited to have this guest on. Lance, are you excited to have Emily you pa- on? You pass it to me first. Emily is on the show, Ralph. We need to I'll highlight Emily. Emily, how are you doing, Emily? I'm fantastic. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> no, we're really excited to have you on. You're definitely the, the highest profile guest I believe we've had on the show. And your baseball knowledge is, is something I envy, honestly. And we're going to really dig into some stuff here. But we have breaking news. Just before, earlier today, I don't know when this happened. I think Rosenthal might have dropped the details at some point. I see he's cited in the Fangraphs article I'm currently staring on. Christian Yelich is a brewer. He got traded to the Brewers, and the package coming back is very relevant to anyone in any dynasty league because there's a very good chance that Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, and Hassan Diaz are all owned, and then the fourth piece is Jordan Yamamoto. But the top three there is, is an unbelievable return for Yelich, who I believe has about five years of control Brinson is top 15, top 20 on almost every one, top 100 list I've seen. Monty Harrison is a guy who blew up in the fall league. He's a 
really, really good athlete, which is unbelievable tools that started to put it together. And then Hassan Diaz has had some injury problems, but really, really good hit tool. Again, he's kind of like a Scott Kingery of sorts for anyone who is probably in tune to a little bit more of a hyper-relevant name. Emily, what are your thoughts on this Brewers trade? This is unbelievable. I, I can't say I was certain Yelch was going to get traded, but here we are, and the package coming back is unbelievable. What are your thoughts? It really is. And I, my first thought when I saw the return, and I think I tweeted this out, is that that's what a prospect hall should look like. That's the type of group of guys that you want to see. And honestly, like you just said, those top three guys – solid, solid names. Uh, Monte Harrison was somebody who I got to see when I had a brief visit to the fall league. He's one of those guys that's about to explode. Like he's really about to come out of, uh, just come out of nowhere and grab some attention. And one thing that stood out for me is that he and Corey Ray actually had a really, really good connection. Um, they worked off each other, kind of challenged each other a little bit. And But no, I think that that is an excellent return. I think it's really going to help strengthen their farm system with adding those guys. Uh, I'll go back to Emily quick here. Do you think this changes the perception of Jeter at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there I, we go. <laughs> well, I, in regards to Jeter, and I mean, we obviously we all know the the bumps in the road he's had. Some of them self inflicted, I think. And then other ones just growing pains for him learning how to handle his new position. I think it's going to take some time. He made some pretty significant moves. Um, he was involved in some that really made a lot of people unhappy. And so I think it's going to be a while before he can step back into the good graces of the fan base. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that to some extent, you know, they made the two moves to get pitchers in Guzman and uh, Sandy Alcantara. And now they'd make this move and get three legitimate plus power potential bats. And hmm. Ralph, you must be, this is unreal. Like this is a big, big prospect haul. I think this to some extent makes this Marlins system po- quite possibly top 10 in baseball. And it drops the Brewers system a lot. Your initial impressions on the trade? Yeah, well, the first thing I'm going to say about this is uh, it is amazing what player control can get you in yes, return. Yes, that's a good uh, point. You know, comparing somebody like Christian Yelk, who's a, who's a plus four win, a war player. Um, he's, you know, obviously Christian Yelich is a very good player. I, you know, maybe he's a little overvalued at times with fantasy, and I think people can get a little bit crazy in applying um, some projections to him, but it's amazing the return he got in comparison to Stanton and even Ozuna, obviously to a certain extent as well. Sure. This was an excellent haul. I actually wanted to touch on Jordan Yamamoto Moto as well. He's actually a guy who uh, is has a really high spin rate, fastball misses a ton of bats, um, really nice curveball. you know, borderline plus above average curveball. And then, you know, mixes in a changeup as well, but he's a guy that's been on my radar for a couple of years. I own him in some deeper leagues. Uh, I know he's, he was uh, somebody I, I've mentioned in Sleeper Post maybe as early as like 2016. So I like Yamamoto a lot. He's a, a small righty, which we used to call Ralph Special because I, I seem to draft all these small righties in Dynasty. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we know how good Monty Harrison is, how good Brinson is, and uh, Isan Diaz being a local kid to Massachusetts, you know, came out of Springfield. Um, he's a really interesting bat. Power has some speed as well, but he mixes it. Really interesting tools. Um, he's going to strike out a lot, but he gets on base a lot. He's a high OPS sort of player. I like Isan Diaz a lot uh, for fantasy. He's been in top 100s for me. Monty Harrison and Brinson are both within my first sort of draft of my top 100. They're both within my top 35 to 40. I think they're really exciting players. I think there's a chance in a few years that they have two outfielders that are as good as Christian Yellick contributing to their team every day. Plus a decent arm, 
uh, and, you know, potentially a shortstop or a second baseman, whatever path they decide to go uh, within defense. So I think it's a good, a good trade for both teams. I think this gives them the, the Brewers, the kind of player that they needed in that lineup. But ultimately I think this is a really good haul and I want to give some credit to Michael uh, Hill, who's the person I think that's actually making these moves yeah. and not Derek Jeter, but I might be incorrect about that. I think it's Hill that's making these moves. This is one that could make him a legend. This could really cement him because I think these are four major league players that he got back. I like Yamamoto a lot. Mm-hmm. Pe- going back to you quick, Ralph, JT Real Muto, the other guy that I think I, what we all know wanted out of Miami. He's a three war player over the last two years. He becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2021. Seeing this haul for Yelich makes me think that it's not going to be as big if they end up trading around Muto. But, I mean, as far as prospecting goes and dynasty leagues go, you have to be on watch now that a big guy, a top 25 guy, could get shipped for Real Muto and get Real Muto back. It's premium position, good bat, it's got some foot speed. It's, it's interesting. What's your perception kind of on the Real Muto market and what they could get back prospect-wise? Yeah, I think they can, like you said, get another, you know, top 25, top 30 type of talent back. This guy is a controllable catcher, you know, in the prime of his career. Um, there's there's no reason they shouldn't get another haul for this guy. I would imagine based on sort of the precedent that's been set uh, with the Yellick deal that they would get back a couple of pieces and probably two top 100 pieces. Once again, he's a catcher. Mm-hmm. He's a good hitting catcher. And the defense is, is, is good too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge catcher defense guy, so I couldn't tell you uh, about his pitch framing. Maybe you can Lance, but uh, you know, ultimately I think that he'll, he'll get back some good, good pieces. He might be the second biggest haul they get back. I'm a little shocked. They didn't get more for Ozuna now that I see what they <laughs> the got Cardinals back. Yellis, are just licking their I guess it's, <laughs> I guess it's only, but I guess it's only two years of control and they know that Fair. there's some big numbers coming up. Um, yeah. Emily, I don't know what his art numbers will be. Emily, thoughts on this on the Real Muto market now? Um, are they are the Blue Jays going to trade Bichette for him? This is what I want to know, really. <laughs> my, my, my honest opinion from the Blue Jays market, um, I forget what deal it was today. I heard, I don't know if it was Yellick that they were talking about, but someone brought up the Blue Jays' interest in a certain player, and I guess Guerrero came up. Oh, yeah, wow. Someone requesting Guerrero and the Blue Jays went, eh, 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 Good. Eh. Smart. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> see. I think when it comes to Bichette and Guerrero from the Blue Jays, I think they're going to be very much um, almost a Glaber Torres status with the organization where they're like, they're going to look at those guys and say, we're grooming them. We're taking care of them. We want to see them con- contribute to the future. I don't think they would move them for that type of a deal. I, I agree. I think that that's a big thing between front os- offices where, you know, if you look at guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. in the Padres organization and Vlad, I almost feel like comparable value on prospects. Both of those teams would probably just stick with their guy instead of swapping, you know? It's one of those things. You've invested in the player. You know that player well. You know his, his future projection, and et cetera, and you want to see that investment through to some extent. And for anyone that didn't know, I, I specifically went to Bichette because Emily Walden has covered minor leagues for a while. Actually, she's been writing for The Athletic and the Minor League Ball and a lot of other sites, and her content is fantastic. And pre-show, I was, I was very interested in hearing about some prospects outside of the Tigers organization who she was interested in. She brought up Bo Bichette, so I had to kind of make that dig there. You mentioned, Emily, that Bichette is one of the guys that stood out to you, and you said that immediately. I really want to get your thoughts on Bichette and possibly any other players kind of even on the periphery that might be a little bit more interesting for dynasty leagues or just prospecting in general. Oh, absolutely. And there's a 
actually quite a few guys I could list off just with the chance that I got to travel um, between like the Midwest League, seeing a lot of guys in the Eastern League, um, some of those really interesting leagues. And I think for Toronto specifically, you know, when you've got guys like Junior and Bill Bichette, they're so well-rounded already. And to be as young as they are, I mean, you can't ask for that type of projection in a guy. It's incredible, you know, just the futures that they have. With Bichette, I honestly really call him more developed than Guerrero. I think Guerrero still has a little bit of physical work he has to do. Obviously, as you know, he's he's very um, stocky, if you will. Um, he's got a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a different build than his dad had. His dad was a lot more lanky from what I remember. Um, so for him, I think physically he's going to have to trim down a little bit. If they keep him at third, there's been some rumors that they might eventually move him to the outfield. He has an exceptional arm. He's got a, at least a plus arm. Um, so, But for now, he's working on the corner infield slot. And then Bichette, they have him at short, but he's also been rumored to be considered to be moved to second into the future. So there might be a couple shifts for those two coming up as well. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned they're both really, really young, and it's not like they're sitting in rookie ball either. That's, I think, one of the key selling points. If you're looking at that Blue Jays system and you want to tout a system as having extremely valuable assets that aren't are young and not terribly far away you know we see a lot of guys that were drafted in this prior draft who were sitting in rookie ball and we haven't seen too much of a sample of them I'm thinking of guys like Hunter Green you know who unbelievable upside really good athlete but they're they're a ways off and Bichette is 19 I think Vlad's right in that window too and I mean Bichette had 182 plate appearances at high A and it's like he's not that far off it's not unrealistic unrealistic excuse me to expect him to break into the major league team by the time he's 21 you know and the same thing with Vlad the hit tool is just unbelievable that's going to play up at any level and mm-hmm. yeah that Blue Jays I don't know how we got a Blue Jays tangent here Ralph how do we get on a Blue Jays tangent what happened you gotta keep us I on track know. you kind of you kind of you asked the lead-in question know, with Boba Shad getting <laughs> traded and, and next thing you know we went down the the Blue Jays wormhole it always happens with those damn Blue Jays I know. unbelievable so and staying in the AL but jumping divisions to some extent Emily is a Tigers prospector Really good knowledge of this system, and I'm really excited to dig into the Tigers here. This is a system that I think initially off the bat, me and Ralph have been thinking about combining some teams, and this was a team I initially thought about combining, and the Ralph's like, no, 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 we gotta, we got to single this team out and kind of dig into them and go 1 through 12 and really kind of granularly look at some of these guys. And uh, I'm really happy you made that call, Ralph, because I started getting to you know, the 5 through 10s on this list, and I really fell in love yeah. with guys like Daz Cameron. I really like Bo Burrows a bit and some of these other guys that aren't the top talent, but we'll start at the top talent. Ralph has a list on Razzball.com. Emily also has a list on The Athletic. Emily goes through uh, 1 through 20, I believe, and Ralph's through 16. So we're going to stay right in that kind of top 10-ish window, I think, to some extent and really dig into those guys as opposed to going deeper but uh right off the top the biggest difference between your two lists ralph and emily ralph you have christian stewart at one emily you have christian stewart at 10 so i want to start with him ralph i'm going to pass it to you justify the number one ranking of christian stewart sure so this is where fantasy deviates from reality of course of course um where a dh only guy with outfield eligibility at least early in his career and, you know, a 30 homer ceiling, I think he's sort of tailor made for the current uh, home run environment in Major League Baseball as well. I just think he translates. He's a three outcome guy. He's not going to hit for a high average, but he will get on base. You know, we'll slug, you know, 500 plus, I think. Um, I like Christian Stewart. I think there was definitely some risk there in terms of, you know, swing and miss and the profile doesn't always translate with some of these guys, but uh, he's a little older as well as a college product. But 
I think he's going to spend some time in AAA this year, and then we'll eventually uh, have some opportunity in Detroit to, to play every day. So I think there's offensive upside with him, and he's the closest to the majors of, you know, all their hitters that have true offensive upside, you know, that could potentially be, you know, top 100 players in a fantasy league. And that's why I, I like Stewart. I've always been sort of the high guy on Stewart there. So I totally understand why he's much lower. I think Emily had him 10 on her list uh, because he doesn't actually play a true position. He's mm-hmm. a DH guy and he's not going to hit 300. He's not David Ortiz. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very astute point, Ralph. And that's, it's a good thing to bring up is obviously Ralph ranked his list on fantasy side and, uh, and Emily ranked it on pretty much real life value. And the thing with Christian Stewart is that you don't have, you don't have pretty much anything else aside from that 60 ish grade raw power that you see from Stewart. Um, Emily, long-term, you know, this is a guy, the thing that stood out to me is that he has so many at-bats in double-A, and I don't know if that's just the thing they wanted to keep him in Erie, but I almost feel like I always get concerned when an organization doesn't really jump up a guy quickly or advance him through level to level. And, you know, we see that a lot with depending on how developed the guy is, but to some extent, Stewart, I think, had around 28 to 30 home runs between 2016 and 2017 in each year, and to some extent, I was felt he was deserving of some triple-A at-bats. Do you think there's any reasoning behind them keeping him in double-A, Emily? Honestly, I think it's just trying to polish his plate presence a little bit more. Um, Stewart is one of the hardest working guys in the Tiger system. Like he will go out and absolutely work his tail off. And that's something that I've respected about him since day one. But the problem with him is that he was labeled with that Stephen Moya comparison right away. Um, As you know, Stephen Moya could not get that strikeout percentage down. And when you're a figurative one-tool player, Mm. you have to sell yourself on that one tool. He's a below-average outfielder. It's not for lack of trying. Like I said, he works incredibly hard, just has a below-average arm, below-average speed. Um, His routes are not the greatest on fly balls. And so he really has to sell himself on his bat alone. And you mentioned incredible power i mean i've watched him tear the cover off the ball multiple times his his pitch recognition is getting better um, but he's still got a little ways to go and just from what i kind of gathered from watching the way the tigers kept him you know in one position i don't think they're wanting to push him too quickly because i think they want to let him have that time to really develop a little bit more get more confidence at the plate because we all know the power that's behind it but he has to be able to sell that consistently Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I, to some extent, I feel, Emily, that your ranking of him at 10 means you're not necessarily buying into that one tool, making him a legitimate standout part of the, this Tigers rebuild here. Am I, am I wrong in saying that? Or do you think that this power tool can actually play up at the major league level? I think in the DH position, absolutely. Um, I think the okay. problem that I've had with Stewart, and I have gotten some flack for this because a lefty bat with that much power, every, every team wants that in their lineup. I mean, it's just an exceptional tool. But for him, I haven't seen the development of that tool. I've seen little by little, he's starting to polish here and there. And you can call me jaded by Stephen Moya. You know, it's <laughs> kind of one of those things where they come so, so highly you know, recommended and they have this incredible resume behind them. But to me, if you can't get it to click after a while, that's, it's a tough spot to be in. I think he still has plenty of time. I don't think the clock has run out on him, but he has lost a little bit of the good standing, if you will. And I'm hoping he's really able to kind of break out for uh, this season and show how much value he has. I think to some extent Christian Stewart comes in to the major leagues and, and probably maybe like this year September call style or maybe in 2019 and becomes kind of that DH-ish guy or just a guy they, they bring in. But I do like the power a lot, and I think to some extent he has a 
a decent floor. And speaking of floors, I want to transition now to Franklin Perez, who Emily has number one on her list, and Ralph has number three. Um, Perez is a guy I consider with a relatively high floor. Uh, a couple pretty good pitches. The K rates dropped as he's jumped up some levels, but I wanted to pass this back to Ralph now and get his thoughts on Emily's number one prospect on her list, Franklin Perez. Ralph, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, your sort of classic pitchability right-hander that, you know, mixes his pitches well. Um, you know, he's got a deep arsenal, the four-seamer, change-up, slider, curveball. I don't think any of those pitches are necessarily plus, but his command is definitely plus. Um, and he picks his spots. So I think he's somebody that, as you said, has a very high floor. He's exciting for dynasty leagues in the sense that, uh, you know, if you're in a particular setup, that's more pitching focused, maybe something with quality starts, anything that's over 16 teams, I think you start to, you know, maybe gravitate more toward a Perez guy where hey, maybe he adds the swing and miss. He adds the strikeouts. He's still only 20 years old and he's very advanced. He's played at an advanced level and put up very good numbers at, you know, double A, like I said, as a 20 year old. So I think there's a lot to buy into there. Um, I had Manning higher than him just because I think Manning ultimately might have more swing and miss upside. And when it comes to fantasy in these lists, I'm just usually playing the upside card a little bit more than I'm playing the four side. But I think Perez is, you know, absolutely a top 100 arm um, on a real life list. He's probably top 50 ish. I don't think that's absurd to say. Yeah, I think Baseball America actually had him inside their top 40, and I thought it was a pretty aggressive yeah. rank. My my top 100 actually came out, shameless pl- plug here. Uh, <laughs> and I think I had Perez right in that 50 window, so not too far off. Again, the difference between 20 spots on a list once you get past 20 overall on top 100 is, is relatively marginal. But I want to pass this back to Emily now. Uh, Perez works with the fastball slider curve and change. The fastball and the curveball, in my opinion, from watching some tape, are the two pitches that stand out. The slider seems like kind of an afterthought. I really like the shape of his curve. He's kind of got a little bit higher of a three-quarter arm slot, and it, it comes over the top pretty well and has good shape to it. Uh, the changeup seems to be the pitch that for him to become a solid number three starter as opposed to just a regular number three starter with maybe a little bit feels more like a four in some rotations, but for him to have that potential to become like an average two at, at maybe his ceiling, so to speak, Emily, do you think that the changeup is the pitch he has to work on the most, or do you think that the slider is probably more, more where he has to turn to. I know there's some debate about around two breaking ball pitchers like this and how they have to develop, but just your general thoughts, uh, Emily, on Franklin Perez, I guess. Yeah, I would say for him, the thing that really stood out the most, and unfortunately I have not had a chance to see him in person. Um, I'm hoping to see him throw when I get to spring training in March. That'll be my first live look at him. Um, But as far as comparing his off-speed stuff, I think the changeup is where he's going to have to really work the most. Um, I've heard some pretty decent stuff about his slider. So just knowing... Knowing the stuff that he has at the age that he's at, because I believe, is he just 20? I think he may have just turned 20, if I yeah, remember correctly. Yeah, in December, correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so knowing as young as he is and seeing someone asked me the other day, they said, what stands out to you the most about Perez? And I said, I think just in general, the feel that he has at yeah. that age. You know, that's something that you can't teach a guy to have that kind of feel to the degree that he has being as young as he is. So for me, that just gives the Tigers all the time in the world to keep working with him get him to become even more dangerous. He's got the velocity. He's got the life on his pitches. And so I think he really only goes up from here. And another young guy on this Tigers list is the individual you have second, and Ralph also has second. So you agree here, which is good. I don't want too much disagreement between you two. Uh, (laughs) Matt Manning, 19-year-old, 
he was in Connecticut, I believe, uh, on the Connecticut Tigers short season squad. He played for a bit mm-hmm. this past year. I didn't get a chance to see him. Me and Ralph are both up in the northeast, northeast so I do regret that. Uh, Emily, your thoughts on Matt Manning here? He seems to be the high upside piece, the token high upside piece on an organizational list like this. I think the ceiling is substantially higher than Perez, but you know, there's a lot more projection with some of the tools he currently has. And um, his back leg drive is actually something that doesn't make me concerned overall, but I, I'm a little bit worried about how it plays up at higher levels and how it affects his control overall. So I'm hoping maybe you could talk me into uh, Matt Manning here, Emily. Your thoughts on him? I am extremely optimistic about Matt Manning. <laughs> nice. That's what I like um, to hear. Yeah, no, he, he's somebody I got to see him throw for the first time in the summer of 2016. So this would have been his kind of inaugural year, if you will, when he was in the Gulf Coast League. And the first outing I saw him throw, I went, how are you that poised already? That was really the thing that stood out the most about him is the fact that you couldn't tell his mood. You couldn't tell what thoughts were going through his head. He just got up and he repeated and he repeated and he struck guys out, struck guys out through three perfect innings at the outing that I was at. And just he dominates being as young as he is. I think that's something that's really going to work in the Tigers' favor is having these arms who are still so young. And I think Manning, honestly, him and Perez really lead this pack um, to have the mix of pitches that he does. I watched him do some really, really great stuff when he got promoted to the Midwest League to end the season and just really excited about how he's developing and moving into this year. And I want to go back to you quickly, Emily, here. Your philosophy kind of just around watching pitchers, I know you've seen a lot, and you mentioned there, you kind of alluded that you, I think you've seen Matt Manning multiple times. Can I confirm that? That is correct. Okay. I've watched him throw every year since he got signed. That's awesome. So I guess your initial impressions on a pitcher and how they develop, you know, as you see them more than a couple of times, especially on a kid this young, you said you were kind of blown away in that first start. What were you looking at in those subsequent starts that kind of shaped what the current opinion you have on Matt Manning is was it the continuing poised was it maybe the fact that he ended up not pitching as well but you still liked what you saw or what's kind of the philosophy around watching a pitcher a couple times from your perspective um I think that age is going to factor into it depending on how I'm seeing a guy perform um if it's you know if you're in the Florida State League and you see a guy who dominates you find out he's 28 years old obviously (laughs) you're going to treat him a little bit different but when it comes to guys like Manning poise is a big piece to it how are they handling the pressure um how do they handle the different types of hitters that they're facing and I think one of the biggest things about Manning for me is repeatability like he can get up there and he can just go and go and go and some people voice concerns about that the outings I've seen from him I've never seen him struggle with repeating Um, I think that that's something he does very, very well. Last year, there were some, I guess, rumors, if you will, that he had lost some of his velocity on his fastball. That was incorrect from the get-go as well. He can still hit up to 96, 97 on his fastball. And what happened was is he had pulled off the gas a little bit to focus on some of his off-speed stuff so he wasn't defaulting to his fastball as much as he had in the past. And by doing that, of course, fans are going to freak out and say, well, if you have a fastball, throw the fastball all the time to every hitter because, you know, fans have the best logic when it comes course, to that kind of, of stuff. Uh. So, but no, for him, and he confirmed that on multiple occasions, I watched him gas it back up to 96, 97, and he's, he's incredibly aware of what he needs to do. His situational awareness is top of the line. 
And I think he's in a great position going into this year. I, I have to say, Emily, you are selling me on him, him a little bit here because I, from the video I saw, you know, as I mentioned uh, briefly, I, I'm a little bit worried with the back leg drive and, and how, I mean, the fact that he repeats his mechanics from what you're saying uh, is, is awesome. And I think that's huge and that's big for his development because the, the c- control lapsed a little bit, really small sample at the end in uh, A-ball uh, for the Tigers. And overall, you know, with these back leg drive pitchers, when he's got a lot of the velocity coming out of the lower body, I become a little bit concerned with how well they can repeat. And then number two, where the walks go as they trend up. But the fact that he can repeat is going to help that a lot. And the thing also that I, I like about Matt Maney is that the K's seem like they're always going to be there. He has two dominant pitches. The curveball is fantastic. The fastball is fantastic. I think he's working a bit on the changeup. Um, the command is a little bit of projection now, but from what you're saying, Emily, the fact that he can repeat, the fact that he has the strikeouts and he's already, I mean, again, we're looking at a guy 19 years old, He'll be 20 in January, actually. 20 in three days. I'm looking at his Fangraphs page right now. If Matt Manning, if you're listening, happy birthday, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're listening, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> but yeah, that, that helps a lot I, with giving me a little bit more confidence in him. I, I had some trouble ranking him on my top 100. I think I put him right around the middle as kind of a punt to some extent. I saw some people lower on him, saw some people higher on him. Um, where do you think, Emily, before I go back to Ralph here, I'm, I'm shunning Ralph out here. I'm just, I like talking to Emily. <laughs> Emily, where would you I have just him? Saying, I was I was very high on him. And where would you have him, Emily, on a top 100 list if you had to just kind of put your thumb in the air? You know, I would go top 50 with him. Okay. I honestly, I, I comp him pretty close to the development level of Franklin Perez. Mm-hmm. And something I was going to point out, too, I'm talking about a little bit of um, Manning's numbers are a little deceptive if you look at the full season performance. And again, I'm going to go a little nerd on you here. But oh, this love is it. something that I really kind of put behind the reports that I put out and the information that I put out, I like to study trends. So when you have the reports that look at just a solid stat line, that doesn't do it for me. Cause I'm looking throughout the year and saying, okay, are there dips in certain parts of the year? Why is that happening? Is it injury related? Is it, you know, getting used to a new, a new level that you just got promoted to. And something that absolutely grabbed me about Manning is that the first few starts he had when he got promoted to the Midwest league, he struggled. He struggled probably for the first time since he signed with Detroit. And I think coming out of short season where he had a very decent, decent time there, he saw his first competition. And that was when that situational awareness really had to kick in and he had to go, I got a problem solve here. I can't just blow everybody away and show everybody how sharp I am. I have to problem solve. And the last two outings he had of the regular season with West Michigan, he threw 11 scoreless. Wow. Yeah, that's and the that, thing. That that goes back to the poise you're talking about, too, to some extent. The fact that he's able to adjust. And if you watch him, you watch his face. This is something else I look for in pitchers. Bill Burroughs is another one I like to watch his face during an outing because you can literally see the wheels turning. You can see him reading the hitters that he's facing. And then for Bo, I watched him throw a six-inning no-hitter in the Eastern League last season. And you could see him go, I got it. Mm-hmm. It was like a switch flipped in his head, and he went, I got it. And I talked to him after the game, and I said, how did how did that feel for you? Because he wanted to go the full nine. He was ready to go. He was amped <laughs> up, ready to go. He didn't want to get off the mound. But the Tigers obviously still pacing him because he's fairly young. And he said, I could tell something had just clicked. It's like it started to make sense to him, and he went, now I'm in control. Now I'm ahead of the game. Now I can get these guys out the way I want to get them. Manning's the same way. He's absolutely the same way. And so he's somebody I'm very high on, 
very optimistic, and I think he's really going to have a fun start to the year. Ralph, your thoughts on Matt Manning here? Me and Emily were, go- were going back and forth there for a while. <laughs> I hope you didn't fall asleep. Are you still there, Ralph? Uh, what? What? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm enthralled and, and very, you know, uh, hanging on every word. But no, seriously, I love Matt Manning. I had him 58 actually on my end of season top 100. So I had been reading every- everything that Emily's written about him. You know, I love the athleticism, the size, the stuff. Uh, and then obviously the poise and everything else. I think it, it, you know, it adds up to a potential uh, front of the rotation starter and he's got the time to sort of develop himself and get there. If it takes another two to three years, um, he's young enough that I, I think that's right on track and it's, it's not going to kill him. So he can take it kind of slow. Um, they can tweak his mechanics, do things that they, they feel they need to, but the stuff is there. I love that, you know, the mid nineties, you know, upper nineties fastball, it's got some rise to it. Um, you could throw it up in the zone and, and get some swings and misses, uh, you know, the change up, he started to show better feel for later in the year. Uh, Emily mentioned that in her write up, uh, and then everyone loves the curveball. So yeah, I don't think I have to go into Manning too much more, but I, I like Manning a lot. And I think that he has the highest fantasy upside of any of the arms in the system. And there's a lot of good potential, you know, starters in the system. Sticking with arms, Ralph, Alex Fajardo is a guy who we don't really have any stats on. Um, sure. We do have stats on the medical side, unfortunately, but he's a guy that <laughs> has a disgusting slider that if you watch any of his tape from Florida, it is really fun, honestly, to watch him throw that pitch. He's got some funky, funky mechanics that, again, I, I don't know how much I could buy into from just a, a health standpoint, and I'm interested in Emily's thoughts on this, too. But, but Ralph, uh, jumping to Alex Faito a little bit, he's got a almost full sidearm slot. That slider is extremely, extremely deceptive. Seems like there's some reliever potential with him. Do you think he could be a starter at all? Where do you see him long-term? Yeah, I do think he can be a starter. And I think that they slowed him down. He had a crazy year. I think everyone forgets that he had what surgery on both of his knees coming into the season. Uh, You know, he had to heal up from that. It took him a while. He kind of was up and down during the year. I think he got blown up by Kentucky his last start of the season. And then he came back and just absolutely pushed in his first start in the SEC ch- uh, championship. I love this kid. I love his fastball. When he's working up to 98, you saw it in the College World Series. Uh, when the money was on, on the line, this this kid came through. Um, and he really shined in the tournament. I mean, he was, what, the most outstanding player in the College World Series, if I'm not mistaken. He's got the big fastball, like I mentioned, with the velocity. It's deceptive. It has movement. Um, he's got that great slider and he's somebody that gives guys different eye levels too, with the stuff to match. If he could stay healthy, which I hope he can. And, and, you know, he's one of these guys that the mechanics are a little wonky, but it works for him when it's working. If he could stay healthy, I, I think Beto could be a really good number two starter and they could have, you know, three potential players and maybe Brady Singer, if that's who ends up going number one next year. And they team him up with uh, his former Florida teammate. I think this is going to be a ridiculous rotation. And uh, Alex Fado is going to be a part of that. Uh, yeah, the Tigers seem to be, if they, if they go uh, Brady Singer 1, they're going to be basically sort of taking Florida and bringing it to Michigan, which yeah. I don't really know which state would hate the other more or less. But regardless, Emily, Alex <laughs> Fiedo is a guy who, uh, from my perspective, he, he, he's a little bit like hunched over when he throws. And I think that that's actually, I, I don't know from the biomechanics side how that affects your lower body as far as your knees go, but it is a little bit funky of a slot to then get your arm, arm up. If you, if you pause his delivery um, from the 
third base, first base side and see it. He goes into like a heavy inverted W and it, it's a lot of torque to get his arm back around and through his body because he's hunched over. This actually reminds me of, of Jorge Guzman a little bit, who I know Ralph really likes, but I have some questions on the mechanic side of because of this similar thing with the hunched over back. But um, Alex Fajardo, uh have you seen him at all, Emily? Your thoughts? How good is the slider relief projection? Give me it all. You know, as far as Fajardo, I actually had one of my Twitter followers tweet at me the other day and said, the Tigers still have Alex Fajardo, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, (laughs) there was this hype that surrounded him when he first came into the organization. He has not thrown a pitch yet. Yeah. And so the fan base is all going, he's going to throw, right? Eventually, right? (laughs) Oh, man. It's required a lot of patience from the fan base to actually see what he's going to be able to do. But, I mean, obviously, we all saw what he did in the college postseason. We saw the effectiveness. We saw, you know, the honor he received after the World Series. And he's the kind of guy where, yeah, his his arsenal speaks for itself. Obviously, the knee issue, that is a little bit of a concern. And you're probably always going to have that in the back of your mind. Um, The Tigers have multiple guys in the system now who have had issues with knees. Grayson Griner. I believe has had three knee surgeries. He's the six six triple A catcher that they have in Toledo right now. So when the knee factors in, you know, it's gonna be in the back of people's minds. But for him, no, just absolute filthy arsenal. Um he proved that when he was um still in college. And so I think he's given people every reason to be excited for when he gets started and for twenty eighteen. Very interested to see where Fayetto goes. I agree with that. Uh, he's going to be a guy. It's funny you mentioned that he almost disappeared. I feel like every now and then, almost every organization has that guy, whether it be through health reasons or just because they kind of fall by the wayside and then aren't talked about because they were fringe top 100 and then say they get hurt and fall off. We were just talking the Rockies, and I feel like this kind of happened to Forrest Wall when he got hurt, Ralph. Like, everyone kind of was in on Forrest Wall, and then the next thing you know, he goes down, and now no one even cares about Forrest Wall anymore, which is crazy because he's young, etc. But it seems like a perpetual thing through systems, which is very interesting to me. Um, I'd like to jump down now. We'll go back to a bat. Let's go back to Isaac Paredes here. Emily has uh, Isaac sixth on her list. Ralph has Isaac fourth. He seems to me like a guy with a utility future, but I think that the bat is just something that we haven't seen the full potential of yet. Um, the glove, from what I understand, is really good. The arm is really good. But the bat didn't really play up when he was with the Cubs. Uh, he was sent over. Oh, remind me of the trade here. What, what did he come over from in the Cubs? He came over in the Wilson deal. Ah, that's it. Yep, you're right. You're right. Wilson, Justin Wilson. Wilson and Avila. Avila, yes. Ah, I yep. forgot. There we go. So, Can't forget Avila. Yeah, and I'll stick with Emily here. Uh, on Paredes, uh, he's a guy. I was actually reading, I think, a David Loria interview with him from uh Fangraphs obviously and the he's like kind of a minor league reporter to some extent uh, I'm sure everyone must know him if they follow prospects or interested in prospects at all but he does some pretty cool interviews and Paradis was talking about how on the defensive side of things uh the uh wherever team he went to I was at the West Michigan Whitecaps I want to say yeah. um yes. yeah he went there yeah, he said that they were shifting more than South Bend did with the Cubs, so that was something he had to get used to. And that the other interesting thing from the fantasy side, obviously, the bat is we're all interested in whether the bat can actually play up as a whole as he kind of ages and we start to see exactly who he is. And they, he was saying that when he got shipped to the Whitecaps, they kind of just took the hands-off approach with him on the bat because they didn't really know him as a prospect. 
so they were kind of just feeling him out and they were like you know we're not going to tinker with you yet because we don't know who you are we, we just got you let's see what you can do and, and they liked his approach overall the results weren't great but do you kind of project out those results or toss them aside Emily and you like this guy more on the bat side or do you think he ends up more as a utility player you know I think he's proven himself on both sides of the ball I think the hardest thing for Paredes is that Physically, it makes it hard to really guarantee where he's going to end up defensively. Um, the fact that he's 5'11", he's already very stocky, 175 pounds, which I think is a little slim. I think he might be pushing 180. Um, just absolute boulder. He's built like a boulder. <laughs> not, not an overweight guy. Just very, very built, very stocky. Moves really well. And again, he's only 18 years old. Still incredibly young. So you, you have to look at the fact that his body is still figuring itself out, still developing, still growing. And so I think for the bat, the fact that he's able to generate a decent amount of power. I know with um, the white caps, I want to say he was about 130 ISO as far as power. Um, and I saw it was kind of hit or miss with him. And honestly, I give him a little bit of grace for that, considering he hadn't been with the organization for that long. And you've got to give these guys time to kind of get the feel for their new system, you know, really work to get their feet wet. But um, ended up, I think, hitting about 217 is what I'm looking at here for the regular season with West Michigan. So um, a little bit of an inconsistency there offensively, but I think his overall production still gives enough to be excited about. And I think defensively, probably going to end up as a corner guy. I don't see him staying at shortstop, probably a future third baseman, um, depending on how the future of the Tigers looks as well. You know, looking at the future of Miguel Cabrera, you know, will we have Victor even for an entire future season you know with his age and his knee problem so gonna be a lot of shifting over the next couple of years and I think that Paredes definitely ends up at the corner in the future yeah hey, I'm interested to see when he turns to the corner how much the bat plays up because the standard to some extent is you go from short to third you expect a little bit more pop you expect a little more contact approach etc and I'm 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 intrigued by Paredes overall I have to say I think it kept him outside of my top 100 but uh he was the guy I looked at and I definitely considered I think I had him in there at one point and then I tinkered with it as I'm sure everyone does Ralph your thoughts on Isaac, Isaac Paredes here yeah I had Paredes actually at the back end maybe 93 or 94 yeah. on my last top 100 I like him a lot I, I'm sort of dismissive of what the numbers were this year I kept in mind that he was an 18 year old and a full season debut was also traded to a new organization um, but he's got some pop in the bat. He's got above average bat speed. He's got nice approach. I think his, you know, his walks and strikeouts are about even somewhere, I think around nine, 10% for both this year, at least with, with West Michigan. So I think there's a lot to dream on here. He's gotten some comps to Glaber Torres and, and guys like that. I don't know if it's kind of lazy just because he's a middle infielder with a similar build, uh, mm -hmm. from the Cubs organization. But I do think he's an interesting middle infield bat. Um, we're always looking for middle infielders that can hit. Will he likely move over to maybe second or third base? Probably. But uh, I do think he's an infielder, and I, I think he's going to one day hit enough to be relevant in fantasy leagues. So he's a guy that, that uh, I don't know, I guess I buy into a little bit. He's one of my guys. But I like the swing, and I like, I like the approach. Hey everybody, just wanted to step aside here for a second to mention our sponsor, RotoWare, created by the venerable Kenneth Cashman. You can follow Kenny on Twitter at Kenneth underscore Cashman for all his designs and t-shirts and everything that he does in season and the offseason. There, there is no offseason, actually, because he does everything for a bunch of sports on the fantasy side of things. He's the premier soul and I believe leading, will always be the leading fantasy baseball apparel company in, out there and uh, his designs are unbelievable. He gives you 
awesome detail and everything from the shirt quality to the little designs and knickknacks that he tosses in with it. And he's an unbelievable entrepreneur and he, he's ran with this and it's been a brand that we're really happy to sponsor here. And also really happy to give you a, a promo code, which is Sagnoff, which is the uh, steals and saves ain't got no face, the Razzball terminology. You could plug that in and get yourself 20% off. Um, and also you could go to rotoware.com and then scroll down to the bottom of the page. He's got a bunch of shirts, add one to your cart and then change the quantity to like 10 or 15 and then put in your credit card number and then buy the 10 or 15 shirts to help Kenny. Okay. You're going to do that. You better do that. I'm watching you. I'll know if you don't. (laughs) All right. We'll get back to the show now with Emily Walden. And if she doesn't have a shirt, I'm going to make Kenny send her a shirt. So, uh, Kenny, if you're listening, send Emily Walden a shirt. Uh, I'll stick with you, Ralph. Talk about another bet here, one that I like a lot, and I actually, I actually almost regret not fitting into my top 100 after after watching some video on him and seeing what they've done with his swing overall. Daz Cameron, uh, interesting, interesting kind of five toolish outfielder here that we'll eventually see if it's actually five tools realized at the major league level. We often speculate with these guys. Most of these guys hit the major league level and lose one of the tools, or one of the tools doesn't actually play out. But but Daz has a decent floor because of his defense overall, which should get him some playing yeah. time. Um, I really like his swing overall, and I was interested in how much you liked him, Ralph. Yeah, I do. I do like Daz Cameron. He's somebody that I was high on coming out of the draft. He was a very uh, hyped up prep prospect. Yeah, dropped a little bit in the draft because of signability concerns, and obviously ended up signing uh, for a pretty penny. I think it was a two million dollar bonus, maybe or somewhere or thereabouts with the Astros. Might even have been more. I can't. I can't recall right now. But we know who his father, Mike Cameron. But he's a very different player. I don't think he's as exciting as an outfielder. Um, doesn't have as much power, probably, probably not as much speed ultimately. So I don't think he's, he, you know, the player Mike Cameron was. He still has a power speed combo. Uh, the Astros reworked his swing, as you mentioned. He was very pull heavy previously. Switched to more of a two strike approach. Shortened it up. Started going the other way a little bit, and uh, it actually tapped into his, his raw power a little bit. And I know in my write up I mentioned his slash line between. June, July, and August when some of these uh, changes were made. 258, 343, 506 in June. July, 309, 374, 532. August, 379, 454, 573. So as the season progressed, he hit really well. Um, Cut down the strikeouts a little bit as well. Yeah, I think he's an interesting player. I think he has some fantasy upside. I just think he's more your fourth or fifth outfielder on like a 12-team league. Once he maxes out, I don't think he's going to be a superstar player, but for real life, I think he'd be a very valuable everyday player. That's interesting. I think I see actually maybe a little bit more upside on the fantasy side of things overall. I really like just overall, as you're saying, you know, they, they tinkered with his swing a little bit in Houston and the results have been pretty good overall. He had over 500 plate appearances. He hit 14 home runs, 32 bags. He was 32 for 44 on the bases. So the, you know, the speeds there, I don't think it's plus plus speed. I think it's plus speed probably in the 50 ish window. Um, but the thing I really liked about him was the fact that, you know, they tinker with his swing. They get him going a little bit more direct to the ball. And in high school, when you look back at his swing, it's a beautiful swing. And that's what I like. Guys like Ryan Mountcastle and Brendan Rodgers had this coming out as prep prospects where people fall in love with these guys because of the swing. It just takes some time to develop. And that's the thing we often forget about guys like Daz Cameron to some extent because of that developmental process where they're not going to fly through like the college hitters or the college pitchers. They're going to sit there for a little bit. And Daz has had a couple years in the minor leagues, I believe. Yeah, he's third. He's going to be going on his fourth year in the minor leagues already, and he's only 21, which compared to some of these other arms we're talking about on the Tigers' side, he's actually a little bit older, which is kind of funny. But I like. I, I think that people might be souring him a little bit just because he is 21 and he, he hasn't had any at-bats at high A yet. But 
I really like what they've done with him overall. I don't mind delaying his development a little bit if it means that he taps into that power on the pull side and still stays pretty high with his average because I think his foot speed will allow him to kind of survive with a little bit higher of a BABIP. And if, he's, if his power comes from the pull side and he eventually gets to 20-25 home runs, I'm completely content with that because I think he's going to be, as you're saying, a valuable player elsewhere on the diamond. Um, Emily, your thoughts on Daz Cameron here. Um, I don't know if you've seen him. I mean, think, feel like I'm going to ask that exact question every time I pass this to you. Have you seen this guy? Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. I have, yeah. He came into West Michigan at the end of the regular season, so I got to see him um, get a little bit of time during the regular season, and then thankfully West Michigan carried into the postseason, so that gave him some additional reps. Um, defensively, very, very easy to like. He's very, very quick, has really good speed, good arm, uh, really good reads off the ball. They drew some comparison between him and Derek Hill, which obviously Hill is known for his speed in the outfield, um, but lags a little bit with his hit tool. And I think for Cameron, you've got the pieces there that really will lead to an eventual success. But I think once he gets into the Florida State League, which the Tigers have stated publicly they plan to have him do to start the year for 2018, I think that's really going to be a good challenge for him because showed some good consistency in the Midwest League, but like he just said, too, you know, he's getting up there a little bit when it comes to being at the Class A level, and I think he does need to move up a bit more, find some more challenge, get a little bit more stretched, and really show what he's able to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on him down in, in Lakeland, I believe, is, is the highest squad. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how quickly he progresses, how quickly they do progress him, and if that's a detriment at all to his development, if they're pushing him more than he probably should be pushed, because that high A to double A jump is something that I think a lot of people consider one of the toughest. And of course, that's player dependent, league dependent, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see that transition and what they do with him and how quickly they want to push him. Because I think they gave him a pretty aggressive assignment when they went to full season ball with him, even though he's a little bit older. Like, they're still developing him to some extent. So I'm going to keep an eye on him. I'm, I'm really excited. I like the swing. I think I just kind of fell in love with the swing when I was watching him on YouTube and stuff. And that's kind of where I'm buying him more than anything. So. Uh, his development will be interesting. Uh, he's just outside my top 100, but um, I might have given him a nod in that 93 or 20 you were just talking about, Ralph. But let's jump back to pitchers now. Bo Burrows. So this is something I want to propose to you guys. Emily, you might be able to speak to this. I look, watched these top arms here. So we have Matt Manny, Franklin Perez, Alex Fajardo, Bo Burrows, and Funkhauser. If you line all these pitchers up where they were releasing the ball, I feel like you get the perfect distribution of almost every arm slot. And I don't know if it's just me that's noticed this, but you have Fajardo, who's like pretty heavy, almost full sidearm. Matt Manning's a little bit higher than that. He has like a heavier tilt with his when his trunk comes forward and he throws almost like a Scherzer-esque. So that is a little bit higher. And then you get up to the pure three-fourths of Funkhauser. Then Bo Burrows is like 100% over the top. And then Franklin Perez is a little bit like high three-quarters. So I feel like, to some extent, someone has to come up with like a t-shirt or a poster that's just each of these pitchers releasing a pitch and it'd be a perfect like a uh, right angle and i think it would look great so uh, there's an idea for anyone i don't know if this is true but <laughs> i just my perception on it but uh getting back to the things that actually matter here bo burrows emily <laughs> your thoughts overall on him he's another guy who kind of features that curveball as his plus off-speed offering um similar to what Frank- franklin perez does and uh you obviously had perez above him and so did ralph um i believe if i'm looking at your yes yeah, seven for ralph bo burrows and four for emily um, over the top, got that curveball. He's got a pretty good fastball. Another one of these guys with a relatively high floor, not the ceiling of Manning, as I um, I believe, and Emily can confirm or deny this. But uh, Bo Burrows overall, what do you think the ETA is? This feels like a guy who could come up and contribute a little bit quicker to the Tigers at the major league level, Emily. 
I definitely think so. And I think one of kind of going back to um, his uh, no hitter that he threw in the Eastern League, um, the thing with Burroughs is that you're not going to see the same fluidity that you'll see with Perez or with Banning. I think part of that has to do with physicality. Um, Burroughs is only 6'2", which not short by any means, but when you compare it to the I think the 6'3", 6'4", of Perez, and then obviously Matt Manning is being 6'6". You have a lot more arm and leg to work with. And I something I've noticed about Burroughs from the time where I've seen him pitch for the first time, um, he really works hard. He has to work a lot harder, I think, because has to put a little bit more energy into it, um, very attack-type style from the mound. And watching him in the Futures game, I mean, he, he touched as high as 98 miles an hour on his fastball at the Futures game. And so that shows you the well-rounded value he has from what he can deliver. But for him, it's really a mental thing. Um, it's him learning what he's capable of and then being able to do that consistently. I, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed he hit 98. I don't think I looked at his velo. But, yeah, as you're saying, like a guy who's a little bit shorter like this who probably has a little bit higher effort in his delivery, you know, if mm-hmm. they can get up to 98, you often knock him because you're like, oh, it's 98, but there's not much control and it's high effort. And those are just kind of compounding factors that you don't really like. But, I mean, Burroughs sits in that mid-90s, as you're saying, Emily, and he got up to 98 in the Futures game. The control isn't bad, and the strikeouts are there, and he's over the top. He's not like a full-back to like drive guy. He's definitely more rotational. Manning, he's kind of the opposite of Manning from a mechanic standpoint in the lower half, I would say. Um, but Burroughs mm-hmm. is a guy, I, I agree with you, Emily. I think he could kind of shoot up. I think that Fangraphs actually has his ETA at 2020, which seems really far off to me. I don't know if they haven't adjusted that in a while, but this almost feels like a guy who could maybe get some looks out of the pen in 2018 and possibly 2019. I'm not really sure. We haven't really talked high level about the the rebuild for the Tigers here, Emily, but how quickly before you think they're, you know, what's their contention window? If you're the Tigers and you're the GM and you're looking at this system, which is a good system, or it's objectively a good system. It's, it's balanced. Mm. They're maybe not it's not too, too heavy on the bat side, obviously, but it definitely has some more pitching. feels a little bit more like the Braves construction of, of prospect systems to some extent. Obviously, the Braves is one of the top in the major leagues, et cetera. Not the best comp, but um, contention window-wise with the Tigers here, um, do you think it's more, let's see these assets in 2019, or do you think they don't mind waiting until 2020, Emily? You know, I think with guys like Burroughs, I think you could see him as soon as 2019, depending on how it goes this season. Sure. I think if things click really well for him this year, he is on the, I know it sounds weird, but he's actually on the older end of some of these arms, which he came up young too. He was a high school draft pick. So for him, knowing as hard as he's worked, seeing the progress that he's made, I think the Tigers have been very impressed with that spoken to a few people out of their front office they love what he's done they love the ways he's grown honestly i don't think it's that far off of a shot to say he might be considered for september but things will really really have to be clicking for him flowing for him but i think 2019 is really a feasible option ralph how does burroughs compare to some of the other arms in this system from your perspective yeah, I was just sort of kicking around in my mind whose fastball I sort of like the best of like Dato, Perez, or Manning. They obviously have pretty good offerings. I really like Bo Burrow's fastball. Um, he gets a lot of swings and misses on it. It's by far his best pitch, and I think it's pretty heavily in terms of heavily used in terms of what his splits are in terms of his usage rates. Um, he was excellent in the Florida state league this year. He was age appropriate for that league. I think he was 20 years of age, but for the entire season or pretty much the entire season, I mean, 18.1% swing strike rate there. Um, two point, you know, two eighteen batting average against really good numbers. 
The curveball looks above average at times. I think his secondaries are really inconsistent, and I don't love his mechanics. His follow-through uh, with his back leg um, in his delivery is crazy. Like, I feel like his leg's going to fly off. It, like... <laughs> It, it, it should be it's it's so it's such an, a violent back leg like follow through it should be a gif like <laughs> with like a dinosaur or like a wrestler like pinning his leg or something it's it go watch it on tape if you don't know what i'm talking about you haven't seen bo burrows throw um check it out and i think that's all part of you know the little bit more effort he has to put in to get that umph on the fastball but he does it he does it well i like the fastball a lot i think it's just a matter of him developing those secondaries and, and getting a couple, a couple of average offerings that he can throw consistently for strikes um, and sequence. Well, I think it just comes down to the pitching side of things with Burroughs. He clicked this year. The stuff is there. He was, wasn't bad at double a, he was just inconsistent. He would have a couple of good starts. Then we get blown up. You know, um, I think it's just a matter of him putting it together. He's young enough. It's age appropriate. They don't have to rush him, but I think 2020 is, a little too conservative. I think we do see him in 2019 and there's certainly a chance we could see him in September. If, uh, if he's does what he did in the Florida state league in the Eastern league this year, and then, uh, does it for a few starts at Toledo, who knows, you know, maybe we do see him in September. I, I, one thing I've actually wanted to look into recently has been guys with higher arm slots like this and how they rate out in terms of tunneling metrics. Cause that's something that I, I've often, one of the reasons I really like Jay groom from the Red Sox is because he has that, fastball curveball combo out of a very very similar slot it's extremely deceptive and i've always wondered if tunneling is like the the lost art for a lot of these guys that come straight over the top where they could deceive they're able to get you know uh arm side break on their curveball off their righty and, and glove side break or excuse me glove side break on their curveball off their righty and then some fade on the change up to the arm side and i always wonder if if you're coming over the top with that if that helps that at all at the at the higher levels especially if the pitch isn't that great you know if it's not being graded out as like a 60 70 grade pitch I'd, I'd be very interested in that overall um Funkhauser let's jump to him next is a Louisville product he's a guy who I think to some extent got knocked for not being super athletic um I'll, I'll pass this to Ralph before jumping back to Emily um he's been pretty pretty good after coming back and kind of proving that he he's here to stay but he's again he's one of these names almost like Daz Cameron to some extent who I feel like people kind of forgot about I remember hearing about Funkhauser a while ago when it was draft season coming out of Louisville and he was really really good there and then everyone kind of just soured on him. It seems like he changed a bit. Um, is it a reliever for you? Is it a starter, Ralph? What are your thoughts on Funkhauser? Oh, he's a starter, and I like him a bit. Can I just mention one thing that sure, I was sure. actually wa- I was watching? Um, I had a little bit of Bo Burrows on in the background to re- you know remind me of his yeah. mechanics. And uh, the tape kept rolling after I stopped talking to him. Back to you. And he actually gets hit by a comebacker in his follow-through leg. <laughs> So I was like holding back my laughter as I was watching this in the background. But with Funkhauser, he's had kind of a funky road. And I think that since he's come into the major leagues, he's sort of like Alec um, Hansen. He just hasn't had the same luck in terms of health. He was a guy that was highly drafted um, in 2015 by as a supplemental first rounder by the Dodgers, actually. And he went back to Louisville. He had a pretty bad season, like Alec Hansen had a pretty bad season in Oklahoma. And it dropped, it tanked his, his draft stock. So he ended up dropping in the, the 2016 draft, or 20, 2016 draft, 2016, he ended up dropping yeah. you know, into the fourth round. And uh, the Tigers scooped him up, and he, he's had pretty good numbers in pro ball. I mean, 
Um, you know, he's five and two with an 11.92 uh, K per nine across 11 starts this year. A 227 batting average against wasn't so bad, you know, in in uh, the New York Penn League. I don't think as as well previously. I like Funkhauser a lot. I thought he was a guy that was a huge riser until he got hurt this season. And unfortunately with him, I think health is always going to be part of the equation, but I like the stuff and, and I like the profile. And I do think that uh, if he's able to stay healthy, um, this guy can progress into a decent mid rotation starter with some fantasy upside. Cause he knows how to miss, mix, miss bats. I mean, in 62 and, and two thirds innings this year, he had 83 K's. And I think that sort of tells the story with what the upside is with Funkhauser. Now, could he end up being a reliever uh, because of the injury risk and all that sort of stuff? Sure. But I do think that he has the profile that he could succeed as a starter. It's just a matter of health. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning, too, that, yeah, he didn't have pre-draft there. He did not. His stock fell because he had a terrible season at Louisville. But his, his resume as a whole at Louisville I don't think was terrible. And no. he was buzzed in the first round, I think, for a bit in that 2015 draft and 2016, et cetera. But then it just fell off the table. As a lot, this happens a lot. Like, we're probably going to see this in the coming draft, too. We have a lot of college pitchers in mm-hmm. this draft and high school pitchers, too. And it's going to be a valuation thing for a lot of players – or, excuse me, front offices, too – determine whether they want to try to develop a, a Shane Baz, Tyler Kolick kind of high school arm if they want to stick with the Brady Singer style guy and, and project him out. But Funkheiser fell a ton and it was in part because of the of the of the poor play and just pre draft at Louisville. But um Emily, uh Funkhauser is a guy uh I'm I'm intrigued by overall I would say. Um I think that if you compare him between Louisville and what he did in the early minors to what he did in this last kind of stretch here, it's it's really encouraging. But the upside is, as Ralph's saying, the upside is limited because of the health. But if you give him back health, it seems like he could be kind of a sneaky impact arm here. Um, yeah. What do you think overall the chances are that he becomes a viable starter for the Tigers, Emily? The biggest thing to me about Kyle is I think he is still very much a viable starter option for the Tigers in the future. Um, he's a severe competitor, has so much drive. Like him and I have spoken about that actually in person Um, He absolutely hates being put on the sidelines. And the issue that he had was elbow inflammation that ended up benching him for the remainder of the season once he got promoted to the Florida State League. So that thing was very hard for him to deal with. Went through the rehabilitation, did a really good job with it. But the thing with him, when he started the year in West Michigan, um, he kind of had to deal with some of the chatter that people were concerned about a lack of velocity, talking about his struggles in his final season at Louisville. And the first outing he had, he walked out and struck out nine guys over five scoreless with one walk. And the way that he ended that outing, he strutted right off the mound, almost as if to say, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine. See, I've still got my stuff. Um, The only issue with him, even though he has such dominant stuff, when he's not able to keep the ball down in the zone, he's proven that that can be an issue. Um, In his second outing last season, where he was facing Class A Dayton, which is the Cincinnati affiliate in the Midwest League, um, gave up seven earned runs over two innings. Um, and that was just an issue where I wasn't actually at that game, but I heard that he just could not keep the ball down in the zone. And unfortunately, the Dayton hitters took full advantage of that. So for him, if he's able to keep the consistency of placing his pitches where he needs to, keeping it down and away, has the right stuff, he just has to know how to be able to do that consistently. I think he's on a really good track, and he's got a really bright future ahead in the organization. Yeah, this is an interesting asset on the fantasy side of things, too, because I think there's 
there's we've soured. I think the industry as a whole is soured around it because of all this the injury problems and as you're saying like these kind of these little blow up starts which you just kind of hate to see in a guy. But uh, he's interesting. You know, he's a college army. He's moving too too fast. But he's a guy I kind of want to keep an eye on just because of the pedigree he once had. Even if he did kind of finish off his season at Louisville on not the highest of notes. But uh, so yeah, we could do a little recap of the list here, and then I want to jump down to a few other names. I'm going to let you guys carry me through the, the back half of this list. But the last guy I do want to talk about here is, is Jake Rogers, who both of you agree at, and you have him at nine on your respective lists. He's a guy uh, who came over from the Astros, so another one of these uh, pieces that's revitalized the Tiger system to some extent. This list I was looking at is, is composed of a lot of the prospects that came back from the Cubs and the mm. Astros and the, and the Justin Wilson and the... Justin Verlander trade, the Justins, the trade of the Justins, I guess you could call it a combo of those. <laughs> but Jake Rogers is, is pretty interesting. I like what the Astros, again, did with his swing, and I'm really interested to see what the Tigers choose to do with his swing and his development overall. Um, the K rate was decent with the walk rate. It's 20% on the strikeout side of things and 12% on the walk stride side of things. Um, I, I really like, I mean, I, I detail what I was talking about with his swing, but the thing that you notice the most with him is his front leg. When he was back with the Astros, it was probably one of the funkier front legs I've seen. It comes up really high into a leg kick, but it's not really too much to transfer a lot of weight forward. A guy we were talking about last week, Colton Welker, transfers a lot of that weight forward and gets a lot of his lower half into the ball. Jake Rogers didn't really do that with the Astros, and what they changed that front leg into, instead of coming up and then kind of just coming back down and, and, and doing a lot more things than it probably should have been doing, what they did is they just kind of brought it up and straight back down. So he's still got a pretty high leg kick, but... It allows his his upper body to transition and, and bring his weight forward a lot more into the ball in a way that isn't detrimental to his swing. And, and you know, if you watch that Astros leg kick of his, I think there's a, probably a couple of videos floating around on YouTube. It's it's funky. It comes up, then it hovers, then it comes back, then it comes forward. But it, it, you look at his back leg, and there's really no weight coming forward. And that's what I was most concerned about with him. But I like the, the tweaks as a whole. Um, Jake Rogers, future of him, Emily, in the Tiger system. I'm interested to see if this is a guy who can jump up um, into the top five? Do you think his potential is that high when some of these guys graduate, or do you think this is kind of more utility? You know, I think that um, Rogers definitely adds some depth in the catcher role for the Tigers system. Um, they fell a little bit shy in that area recently, and so I think that kind of adds a little bit more stock to that position. But um, really, from what I've heard the most about Rogers, he's another one I didn't get the chance to see before the season ended. Um, but he's somebody who has actually drawn more praise defensively based on the research I've done. Um, just from his time in college behind the plate, draws really good reviews defensively. And I think his bat is just going to continue to improve along the way, too. He's somebody that, yeah, I went a little bit low on his placement in comparison to some other lists um, in relation to the Tiger system. But for me really promising profile and i think this season we'll see some really good stuff showing what he's capable of for the future uh ralph your thoughts on jake rogers here uh, as i mentioned he he actually had in 367 plate appearances in the astros system he only got i think eight at bats or eight plate appearances in the in the tiger system but he went 12 and 13 through 367 plate appearances this is pretty good if you project that out a uh, high a ball so i think he probably ends up uh, in Lakeland, do you think to start the season, Emily? And then maybe we see him in Erie by the end of the season? Is that a reasonable development timeline, you think? I would, I would say that's definitely reasonable. Um, off the top of my head, I want to say he's about 22 years old, and so I think that's definitely a feasible timeline, and I think he could definitely end the year with Erie. Good. That's interesting. Maybe we can see him in the Eastern League, Ralph. What are your thoughts on Jake Rogers? Yeah, I think this is probably maybe 
the premier defensive catcher in the minor leagues at the moment. I've heard that from multiple scouts. A lot of people that have seen Rogers firsthand uh, in college when he was at Tulane. And then when he was in the Astros system, he's a guy that's made huge strides offensively at the plate. He was not a good offensive player at all. He got drafted on his defense coming out of college. And uh, other than Colin Moran, and we'll see how that plays out in Pittsburgh, this was the guy that the uh, Astros were sort of most proud of in terms of molding him into a fly ball hitter. Had a 42% fly ball rate last year. Hits a lot of line drives as well, 21% there. And as you had mentioned earlier, uh, Lance, he's got an 11% clip on the walk rate. Uh, strikeouts are about 20%. So he's got a nice offensive profile that he's developing. Uh, tap into 18 homers this year at 14 steals. He's an athletic catcher. Um, he's got a good mix of approach and some developing power here. I think with his defensive profile, with the skill set, that's probably enough to get him into maybe the top 10 catchers in the minor leagues, maybe even fantasy wise as well. Um, but certainly a nice asset they acquired. And I think this is the catcher of the future. And uh, I'm kind of excited to watch Jake Rogers. Well, as excited as I could be to watch a minor league catcher uh, for fantasy, at least. But I think there's something here. He's he's uh, he's an interesting piece. And I think it's something that he's inside my top 10 in a system that I think is pretty good. Yeah, the catching aspect of things is something I don't think the Tigers have had too, too much success with in the past, Emily. So this is an interesting piece here. I, I, I honestly actually overlooked how high they graded out his potential future on the, on the catching tool is defense. Mm. So I, that's interesting to me because I, I was studying a little bit more on the bat side with him, and I kind of like what I saw overall from a, yeah. a bat standpoint. And I know that it, the, the grades I saw on his hit tool overall were not good. I don't think he's going to be like a 288 or with 25 home runs, but if he could linger in that like 15-inch home runs with like 260, like that, I, that's productive on the catching side of things. We've seen catchers platoon and do substantially worse than that overall. And, Tigers Park isn't the greatest for hitting, but I, I like that blend. Like he's one of these guys who, if he comes up and is stable with his defense, now that I'm thinking about it, and the offense slowly kind of improves over time, he could be really viable, and that's valuable at the end of the day. And the fact that they have a catcher top ten in the system is big. Um, Mike Gerber, Emily, guy, you have seven, so he's the one guy between the two of you who I don't believe Ralph has. Uh, Ralph has him eleven, so I got him eleven. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah, in my top right ten. And he moved spot, down right? back and forth a few times. I think I got sold on Gregory Soto by. Uh, by Emily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Emily, talk Gerber and then transition into Soto so I can pass it back to Ralph here. Yeah, no, Gerber, I actually got a little grief again because I'm I'm fairly high on Gerber. I think that the reason why he doesn't maybe draw the types of reviews as a Kristen Stewart is that Gerber is just very basic as far as the prospect profile, but he's across the board in every shape of the word. He can do everything, but he's not a superstar. He's not that dazzling personality that everybody wants because, you know, they just go out and blow everybody away. But he does everything well. And one of the things that stood out in my conversations with the Tigers front office is that they said, you know you can depend on Mike Gerber. You know that he will get the job done. And I think that consistency with his performance on both sides of the ball. I mean, this is a guy who had one error over the through 2015 to 2017. He had one error defensively over those three seasons. And so that tells you right there that he absolutely understands work in the outfield, does an exceptional job there. He's not afraid to throw his body at the ball. 
reads the ball great off the bat, and he's getting more of an understanding of the type of power he can generate at the plate as well. Um, he knows very well. He actually told me, he said, I'm not going to be probably a 25 to 30 home run guy, but he said, I can put up 15 to 20 home runs. He understands his body. He understands what he can do. And I think that just builds the confidence that the Tiger system needs to be able to have that support, especially through the rebuild. They're going to need guys who can perform to that level. Mm-hmm. And then you guys, too, are going to return some value sooner than later. And it seems like Gerber might be up in 2018. He got a couple of looks at AAA um, in Toledo. Um, 2018 seems like a good timeline for him, Emily. Oh, definitely. I think he's got a very viable shot to actually make the opening day roster. Oh, nice. Um, there's going to be there's gonna be some, some pretty heavy competition for the outfield for Detroit. I'm having Leonis Martin um, fighting for a position. Tyler Collins signed a deal with um, a minor league deal with the Royals, I believe. So he's out of the picture, but you've still got Jacoby Jones, who, if he can get that hit tool to perform the way that it needs to perform, Jacoby Jones is so sharp defensively, but he just hasn't been able to get his hit tool to catch up. And then you've got Mikey Matuk who's going to be out there as well. So there's going to be some interesting outfield options, but I think Mike Gerber could definitely put his name in the hat for sure. So what did you say to Ralph to get him to buy into Gregory Soto here, who you have 11 on your list and Ralph has 10? (laughs) You know, I honestly don't remember. (laughs) She doesn't care about you, Ralph. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. Now, the the thing with Gregory Soto is, I would say it's just really his, he's got a very bulldog approach from the Hill, which I really appreciate. I've seen him throw now at two different levels. I watched him with West Michigan, and then I got to catch one of his starts in the Florida State League last season. And the way that he's kind of learned his body throughout last season, I think shows that he's going to be very, very dangerous coming into this year. Still has some command issues. Um, There's still some inconsistency there. But his overall package that he brings to the table, once he's able to fully understand that, learn how to utilize it, and then be able to mix his pitches accordingly, I think he's definitely a very dangerous option in the system. Um, He was named the minor league pitcher of the year for Detroit for 2017. And so I think that right there shows that the, the organization has a lot of faith in him, and I'm hoping he can produce to that level going into this season. Yeah, and Soto and Gerber were both two guys that were added to the Tigers' 40-man in November, I believe, to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. So, yeah, they, they have some investment in them. You know, they were willing to kind of protect two guys like this that both of you have on your radars for sure. Ralph, your thoughts overall on Soto and why you like him so much? Yeah, I think it's just the the potential upside. I think there's a couple pathways for Major League success with him. You know, if he's not a, a mid-rotation starter or back-end starter with some strikeout upside. I think it could be a very good back-end of the bullpen piece. It's got that plus heater, mixes in a, a little bit of a change, but I, I, I like the breaking ball. It's a little bit more slurvy. I think it needs to improve in terms of his shape um, and just how sharp it is, but I think he's an exciting arm stuff-wise, and uh, I think it's it's more, you know, he's got all this stuff, the numbers were good, but he could still tighten up the, the control and command a little bit. Uh, and I think that's still possible at the age that he's at. And typically, you know, a lot of pitchers don't figure that out until 24, 25. So I like Soto for that reason. I think there's a couple pathways to potential. Major. He's got good enough stuff that he's going to miss some bats and that could put him into a valuable role. Um, and I think, I guess my hesitation with Gerber is as good as his numbers are. And this guy is a line drive machine. I mean, he's had line drive rates that range from like, to like, I think his low was like, 
20.5 or something like that. Get a little pull happy, um, but he is 25. He's a 15th round pick. And for those reasons, I like him. And then for those reasons, I knock him. So it's like I'm totally contradictory and conflicted. So I'm on the fence a little bit with Gerber. And I think that's why I left him out of my out of my top 10. I do think mm-hmm. he can hit, but I think he's that sort of funny profile. That is he underrated sleeper or quad a hitter, you know, and there's just a lot of guys that tow that line. And I think it's just going to take him actually playing and seeing what he can do in the major league level for more than 400 at bats before we can come to any sort of even begin to determine whether that's the case or not. So Gerber's interesting, but like I said, I am very on the fence about what his future outlook looks like. Mm-hmm. And I want to open it up now as we kind of exceed the 11th overall, 12th, over, 12th overall rankings here, <laughs> just to kind of the floor to both of you guys to, to go back and forth and kind of just mention any guys you're interested in deeper on this list. Emily, I'm sure you've seen, you've gotten really, really good exposure to a lot of these guys and I'm interested on the, even aside from the stats themselves, just who stood out to you in this system that maybe is either on your list, like a guy like Dabo Lugo or Brian Garcia or something, or even lower than that, someone that you had in the back of your mind is possibly adding, or are you really interested to see the development track of as you continue to cover the Tigers? Well, I think for me, one of the hardest things about the recent acquisitions of the Tigers with the trades of J.D. Martinez, um, you know, Justin Verlander was one that actually had a decent return. A lot of the guys that they picked up are on the younger side. And so the hardest thing trying to explain to a fan base, you're not going to see these guys in Detroit for a few years. That's the last thing they want to hear. They want to see guys who can perform now, guys who can step in and kind of stick their finger in the dam, so to speak to try and slow the bleeding a little bit. So for the fans, unfortunately, it is going to be a few years before you really start to see the majority of these guys. Um, One who really stood out to me, he was one through the J.D. Martinez exchange, um, is Sergio Alcantara. Um, He's somebody that, I want to say he's about 21 years old right now, smaller build. He's 5'9", 168 pounds, absolute star of a shortstop. I mean, this guy really doesn't get that much buzz from a lot of people just because I think he plays a little bit of a quieter style. He's not a flashy player, um, but he goes out there, has close to a double-plus arm um, from the Mm -hmm. shortstop position. So he can absolutely nail guys with no problem. He's got really, really smooth hands, really good footwork. He's one of those no-doubt shortstops that you really want to have on your team team um the only thing that really is still kind of a work in progress for him the fact that he is really he's a lightweight his build is not something that's going to generate the type of power a lot of people want to see but the fact that he is still only 21 he's a switch hitter which obviously adds value as well but he's somebody that i think could really show some good stuff coming up this year but i'm hoping he can kind of add on some muscle and be able to generate a little more power at the plate yeah, Fangraphs has him listed at 5'9", 168. And, I mean, that's one of the things. Like, if he's that good of a shortstop, you know, you can find value as that, and you could jump up and become a utility guy and actually give value back to the Tigers regardless of how the bat looks. But, you know, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for him now. I know you had him – let me see your list here – 13th. Um, so I'm going to keep an eye on him. I like that, that profile of that. And, you know, the fact that he – Reminds me a little of Jose Iglesias there with the 5'9", 160. I don't know how big Iglesias is, but I don't know if the glove is as good, but you're saying he's going to be able to stick it short. That At the end of the day, you can stick it short. I don't think we say that about many people, Ralph, as we go through list to list. We often are contemplating guys like Brendan Rodgers even coming off short. I'm pretty confident Brendan yeah. Rodgers ends up at like second base or something, but 
Um, back half of your list here, Ralph, any guys you want to highlight you're a little more interested in maybe in the next couple of years, maybe have a little more sure. upside than they're presented as. Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, second round pick from this year, and that would be uh, Ronaldo Rivera out of uh, Chipola College, which is the Juco World Series champion. He is a big boy, uh, 6'6", 250, strong lefty swing. Um, I think he was actually top 10 nationally in average on base percentage slugging. He's got some swing and miss. He's a little bit raw, but there is a ton of pop in the bat, a little bit more athletic than you think as well, played some first base as well as uh, you know corner outfield. I think he's interesting. I think he's a guy that could jump quite a bit. Uh, his first touch of pro ball was not good in low A. Um, he's still only 20, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping it was just a, a short sample and he had a long college season and is able to rebound next year. But, you know, they took him in the second round, and I think there's some some excitement in his bat. And uh, he's a, you know, he's a powerful corner guy, so... They sort of need that profile. If you look throughout this list, um, that's not something they necessarily have. You know, Paredes is more your, your shortstop that turns into a third base type. But this is a guy that could potentially have 30 homer pop. And outside of, you know, Christian Stewart, they don't have too many of those. So I think he's an interesting name and somebody that could potentially move up quite a bit. The other one I was going to mention really quick, Reyes, who was a rule five draft pick. I just think that potentially he could factor in uh, at the major league level this year. Not a power guy, more of an you know uh, average in speed. So who knows? I mean, sometimes those guys pop up on your radar and uh, give you a little bit of sneaky value. And I like Sam McMillan, uh, who I think was a fourth or fifth round pick fifth this round. year, fifth rounder, who's a, a high school kid catcher, had really good numbers uh, in the GCL, 288, 441, 432. Didn't hit for a ton of pop, but he's only 19. Uh, they got some interesting catchers in the system as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like this Detroit system. I think that it's, it's, it's up and coming. And with a really good draft next year, they could, uh, they could challenge for top five systems. Yeah, you beat me to my transition there, Raph. I wanted to talk briefly about, about 2018 draft because they have the first pick. Um, Emily, I don't know if you uh, have any ideas kind of overall on who they're picking. Uh, but, you know, quick thoughts here as we kind of close up the show on if you've heard around if they want to do singer, if they want to do someone else or, you know, a lot of stock can change very quickly. But uh, um, your thoughts overall, I don't know how much insight you have onto who they are contemplating picking if you've looked into the draft at all. Yeah, I'm at this point and I've had a lot of people doubt me on this to confirm. I have not received insider information on what the Tigers plan to do. So a lot of people feel like I'm holding out details, which if anybody follows me on Twitter, I do not hold out. There's a lot of stuff that I'll put out there, but I know the way I've looked at it, just studying the Tigers track record and drafts recently, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go for a singer um, just because that's the profile they tend to pursue um, during the draft. Personally, I would like to see them kind of stock up on another bat that would be able to provide some long-term value to the system right now because I think, as you alluded to earlier, they're lacking in having some more guys that they can depend on in the lineup to provide some power. So for that, personally, I'd like to see them kind of shift their focus a little bit, preferably go for position guy. But as far as sticking with tradition, if they were to nab a guy like Singer, that really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's, it's another college arm to kind of add into a, a couple prep arms and some high floor. I think he'd be a great addition to this team overall. But I agree. I think that if they go with the guy, you know, I, I know there's a lot of high school bats. You got 
college bats like Seth Beer and some others, but you know, Bryce Terang is interesting. Garrett, Jared Kalenic is another guy. Like something like that would be interesting to add to this team and kind of blend it between the really high floor arms we see in Perez and I think to some extent Bros is a high floor and then the really nice upside guys like Matt Manning. Um, particularly who I think we're both kind of liking. And you've convinced me. I think I'm leaning more towards the, the like side of Matt Manning. But, uh, Emily, I want to pass it back to you as we kind of close out the show. Plug where you're going to be writing come 2018, come in season, and anything else you're doing, Twitter, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned before, still planning on cooking up a lot of stuff for the Athletic Detroit for the 2018 season. Obviously, with the rebuild, all eyes are going to be on the minor league system. So really excited to produce some good content there. And then also I'll be adding some um, additional content to minorleagueball.com, which is the site with John Sickles through SB Nation. So I'll be doing a notebook over there to highlight some different players outside of the Tiger system that I see. I'm doing that on probably a bi-weekly basis, if not more often, depending on how it goes over. Um, So those will be two places to keep an eye on for this season. And I'll have my typical reports, video updates, all that good stuff that I had from last year. Check it out on there. Check out my YouTube channel. And, yeah, we'll have some fun this year. Yeah, I'm really excited to to continue kind of talking with you and and following you on Twitter. So definitely everyone follow Emily and Everyone follow Ralph, too, because Ralph is the man. Ralph, do a little send-off here. I feel like I always pass it back to you for the close, so here you go. You're going to be the, oh, the Joe Jimenez of, of this podcast right now, a little Tigers drop there, who I hope can someday become the closer if he ever figures stuff out. But that's, an, that's a topic for another day, all right? A topic for another day. Well, Ralph, I guess it's out. better to be Joe Jimenez than to be uh, 2018 Joe Nathan. So I'll, I'll yeah. take that. I'll take or that. Or Joe All right. Hey, you know, uh, Prospect Jesus on Twitter. You know where to find me on Razball, the podcast. Obviously, I post this on Saturdays. I have my prospect write-ups to come up on Sundays. I'm doing the Dodgers this week. So that's going to be exciting. I'm going to be posting it from sunny Las Vegas. And then we have uh, the pros- excuse me, the regular podcast with Mr. Gray Albright. We did first baseman or we're doing first baseman that will come out next Tuesday. And uh, I'm going to start ramping up more of my pro- my system write-ups in my top 100. I've started to work on it. Lance has inspired me. And yeah. uh, I'm guessing that's probably not going to be out until early March. Cause I want to get through all the systems before I put that out. But uh, a lot of stuff in the works. Whew, this is good. This is good. I, I will do the send-off, even though I told Ralph to do the send-off. He's not listening to me. Ralph, <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> no. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Emily, massive thank you for coming on. We really enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun to do. And the Tiger system is interesting, and I think they could become a very relevant team. So for everyone here on the Razzball Prospect Podcast, we hope you enjoy your weekend and enjoy what is left of the offseason before we finally get into baseball. Take care. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do, and we do it all while taking our inspiration from everywhere, from New York strips and buffalo wings to St. Louis ribs drenched in Kansas City sauce. Our meat mastery knows no bounds. We grill it, smoke it, pull it, carve it, you name it. So come try our new rib feast. That's a house rack of ribs, two sides, garlic bread, and a drink for just $19.99 when you dine in. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do. Limited time only while supplies last were permitted by law. 
privacy policy in terms of conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. 